The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. I don't know if you've ever experienced, I bet you have, one of those situations where um, maybe it was like an embarrassing thing, but it was worse because there were people that saw it. You know, like you trip on a crack on the sidewalk and you're like, oh, did anyone see it? And there were people that saw it. Maybe you like walked into a door or something embarrassing. You know, it's one thing, it's just embarrassing, but when there's people there, like it just adds a whole nother significance to that. I experienced that. I'll never forget this one particular time I experienced that. Um, I was actually, I was skiing. And I don't go skiing very often, but I've skied enough times where I, I know the basics. You know, I'm not like good, but like I can typically make it down the hill, like, you know, safely. And I was skiing in this one particular time with my brother-in-law, and I have to set this context. My brother-in-law grew up out west and he grew up near a ski slope. And so he grew up skiing all the time and he's very good. Like when he was young, like he was a teenager, early 20s, he was like a sponsored skier and he would go do all kinds of crazy tricks and stuff like that. And so he and I were skiing this one day and, um, and we, had a, we had a blast. It was just the two of us and I was just trying to just stay upright and stay with him. And, and um, you know, it, it was definitely, we're at completely different levels. We would go down a very difficult, um, a very difficult slope and his mind it was like how many different tricks and grabs and flips and spins can I do on my way down I was like how many of my limbs are broken on the way down like that's the different level that we're at okay and so but for the most part it was fine and he was stretching me and pushing me and we were having a blast but I remember at this one point we were going down this this difficult slope and we were going very fast and if you were to see me you'd say wow look at how fast he's going but inside, I'm like, I can't believe I'm still upright. Like, I have no control right now, okay? I'm, I'm not down, but like, I have no control. Like, that's the mode I was in. And we're going down, and there's this jump, and he hits this jump, and he does this crazy, like, spin grab thing. I'm sure there's a name for it. I have no idea what it is, but it was super impressive. And we were right under, at this point, this wasn't the whole way down, but at this one point, we were right under the ski lift, and so he does this incredible grab, and I hear, like, the people who saw it were like, whoa, like, they couldn't, like, hold it in. Like, it was so impressive. They're like, whoa. So that means everyone now on the ski lift is now like, what did I miss? So now they're watching the slope, and they see this, this incredible skier do this thing, and they see me coming behind them. So their expectations are like, now what's this guy going to do, Okay. So I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a jump. I can't stop, okay? And all I know is I hit the jump, there was screaming, and then my face was just full of snow, okay? It was in my mouth, I swallowed some, it was up my nose, and I'm just laying there, and I'm just like, oh. There's things everywhere, and I'm like, man, that was painful. And then I remembered, but there were people. And I just hear overhead, just someone just say, it's okay. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm just going to lay here for a while, okay? It was just super embarrassing, okay? 
there's those moments like that, like they happen and they're, they're like, there's, they weren't the best. Okay. But like when there's people there, like it just adds another layer of significance to that moment. Okay. Now I'm telling you this story because we're, we're looking at the, the journey of this, this guy named Joseph and we're looking at his journey in the Bible and he's walking through this one particular situation that at some point every believer walks through this circumstance, every person, but there's a weightiness to this type of season when we walk through it as a believer with a relationship with God. And we can struggle to know like, how do we operate like in that season? But the significance of that season gains so much more weight when we walk through this, that season and we say, but there's people here. And we don't lose sight of the fact that there's people here. That, that season that we walk through is one of those difficult ones. It's a season of waiting. Waiting is such a difficult season. And, and I, it's sometimes, it might be in your relationship with the Lord, in our relationship with the Lord, with God, it might be the most difficult in some ways. Because you're just, it, it feels dry. It feels interminable. It just feels like it keeps going. And, and whether it's waiting for something in your career, Lord, like, when am I going to get a job? Or when am I going to get the right job? Or when am I going to be done with this job? Or when am I not going to be putting up with this boss anymore? Or when am I, uh, I going to get the actual job or career that I want? Or, or maybe it's something happening in your job, like, Lord, I had these expectations of my life and it's like I, I thought I would be at a different place at this point in my life. And, and I, I felt like I had these ideas and these goals and these dreams, but look where I'm at. I'm just waiting. Or, or, or maybe it's like I, I'm waiting for that promotion or why does this guy get promoted and I don't get promoted or this girl get promoted and I don't get promoted. Like, Lord, where are you in this? And it's sometimes, especially when it comes to our work, when it comes to stuff that we do on starting on Mondays, like in those seasons of waiting, sometimes we, it can feel like we're like, Lord, I need to draw your attention to the fact that I work. And I need, I, I know that maybe you've lost sight of that fact. I know that maybe you've lost sight of the fact that I have a job and a career and I have hopes and dreams, but I would love for you to lean in and help me out. It's almost like we have to awaken the Lord, it feels like, to help us in the season of waiting. Or maybe we've got the job and I just, we're like, what's the purpose? What's the fulfillment? Like, I thought there'd be more here. And I just, it just, I, I, I'm waiting for the Lord to show up and show me something. I want you to see um, a, a story of a person who walked through that and what God did in that, in that season of his life. And if you have been in a season or are in a season of waiting, maybe the scripture, God can bring encouragement to you through his word. Open up with me to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Um, we're moving towards the end of that book in, in verse, in chapter 40. We're gonna start with verse one. <clears throat> Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. 
and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with, him, with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. All right, let's pause there and just kind of get our bearings. Let me just recap a little bit. If you're just joining us in this series, let me recap a little bit about this guy named Joseph. Joseph, his dad's name is Jacob, who's later gets renamed Israel. This is the guy uh, from whom the 12 tribes of Israel come from. And that's because of all of Jacob's sons. He has 12 sons, one of which is Joseph. And Joseph uh, is being groomed to take over Jacob's household, to take over the family business, which is substantial. He's being groomed to take over the family business, but he's passing over, Jacob is passing over Joseph's 10 older brothers. So they're very jealous of him. On top of that, Joseph has these dreams, and in these dreams, he sees his brothers and his family, like he sees himself elevated over his brothers, and he sees them bowing down to him. He doesn't know what to make of these dreams, but he, he believes, he's like, these didn't come for me. They came from the Lord. I don't know what to do with, with these dreams. So he has these dreams. Well, as time goes by, his older brothers are so jealous of him and jealous of, of uh, the favor he has with their dad that they sell him into slavery. And so now Joseph finds himself being sold. Now he's going to a distant land. He's going down to Egypt. He says, look, I'm not even where I'm supposed to live anymore. I'm on another continent. I don't know what to do with those dreams, but he finds himself sold into slavery, serving a man named Potiphar. And you know what? Monday comes and he has to go to work. And what it says is God is with him. God is with him in his work. We don't know about his private devotional life, but we know um, that God is with him in his work. And um, everything he touches, God makes succeed. And so he finds favor and he's eventually running all of Potiphar's house. But then he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Potiphar believes her and Joseph finds himself thrown into prison. So let, let's, let's look at this again. He's living with his family. He's at his father's right hand. Everything's going well. He's being groomed. He's getting all the favor, all the glory. Then he goes down to another land, down to Egypt. He's sold, uh, rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery. Now he finds himself, even though he, he has favor there in Potiphar's house, now he gets thrown down into the dungeon, down into the pit, down into prison. But we find out in the last, last chapter, once again, God shows up in his work. He has favor on him. And so now he starts to get promoted and eventually he's running the whole prison. And then we open up in this chapter, chapter 40, and it says, sometime later. It's not months, it's years. It doesn't tell us specifically, sometimes in the story they do tell us specifically, but sometimes it doesn't. And it almost feels like, I wonder if they leave it open-ended just to kind of get the feeling of what it must have been like to be Joseph because it just seemed like it was just endless days. Some just incalculable number of just time. But what happens is two of the high-ranking officials of, of Pharaoh uh, find themselves in prison. They've both committed an offense 
and they find themselves in prison. It's the cupbearer and the baker. Now the cupbearer would be the one that would serve the wine, highly trusted official, because they would also taste the wine first to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So they'd have to be, if there was one person you would partner up with to poison the king, it'd be the cupbearer. So the cupbearer is very well trusted. And then you have the baker. It's not the cook, it's the guy who makes the bread. He's in charge of that whole division for Pharaoh's household. They both find themselves in prison. Why? We don't exactly know. Maybe someone, maybe Pharaoh got food poisoning. Maybe he thought someone was trying to poison him. He's trying to figure out who did it. It doesn't know, but both have committed offenses. They find themselves in prison. And now Joseph is, because he's running the prison, he has now two VIP individuals in prison. He's personally attending to these very high-ranking uh, officials. So you can imagine, these, they look they, they are Egyptian, they're high ranking, they look, they look the part, they, they, are, um, they're, 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 they look different than Joseph. Joseph has got his beards grown out, his hair's probably a little scraggly, he works in a prison. He works in a dungeon. But Joseph is tending them to him, and it ends that ver- tending to them, and then it ends that verse with, and it continued like this for some time. That's like the story of Joseph's life. Sometime. He's being groomed to take over his dad's business and he's just putting in the years, putting in the years, putting in the years, putting in the years, and all of a sudden he finds himself in in Egypt. And now he's putting in the time, the years, the years, the years, now he finds himself in prison. Now he's putting in the time. It's just his life has been like one long period of waiting, just time again, day after day, year after year. All right, let's pick it up in verse five. And one night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dreamed with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's offense officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. All right, now let's get our bearings here on dreams. Dreams in in antiquity, they were thought of differently than we think of dreams. We think of dreams as just kind of like leftovers from our subconscious trying to file things away in our brains. And, you know, there's probably some truth to that. The ancients thought of dreams as being significant, and depending on their theology, and this is from throughout different cultures, depending on their theology, they thought it was from God or from the gods. They thought that they were important. They might be a sign of something good or an omen of something bad. And so when Joseph finds them, it's not like they're just upset because they had bad dreams the night before. Like they have a dream that they think is significant, and no one can help interpret them. So Joseph comes in, and he sees this. Now, Joseph has his own history with dreams, doesn't he? He has dreams. But I want you to remember, Joseph is not a dream interpreter. It's not like he's like heard a bunch of dreams. It's like, oh, this is a thing that I do. That's not the case with Joseph. He's just had two dreams in his past. But by the way, he's not even living on the same continent as his family. Like his dreams seem like they are history. Like they're impossible. Like those dreams, he's probably long left behind. And so I want you to hear what Joseph says. I don't think he comes sauntering into the prison and being like, oh, well, dreams belong to the Lord. I don't think it's like that. 
I want you to hear him. They say, they say oh, we've had dreams. I, want, I think his eyes glaze over and he's looking past them at this point. And with labored pain in his voice, like someone who's been walking with a limp, he says, only God knows what dreams mean. But it's what he says next that shows his heart. Like, if he was jaded, he'd say, my advice to you two, leave your dreams behind. <laughs> what good are dreams? God's going to give you dreams and whatever he wants them to mean, they mean there's nothing you can do with it. Forget the dream and move on. Because Joseph's dreams are like nowhere close to anything substantial. He's on another continent in a dungeon. But this is what Joseph said. He said, but tell him to me. And, and I want you to see what, what he's done. He's, he's breached a spiritual boundary because these very Egyptian men have very different theology. They're acquainted with like the book of the dead they think the afterlife, you get there by being mummified, put in a tomb with a bunch of treasures. They believe in all kinds of idols or real, real darkness. And so Joseph kind of breaches the spiritual conversation, but not in some superior, elitist, theological thing. He just enters into the pain because he has some unsolved stories. He has an unsolved story. He's got some, some, some streams in his life. He's got some parts of the plot of his life that still seem unsettled. And he looks back, he sits in the difficulty of only God knows the interpretation of the dream. And yet he's willing to be used by God. And he says, tell me your dreams. I want you to see what the cost to Joseph and what we don't know all that's been happening behind the scenes, but God's been softening him. We don't have the heart of someone who's jaded and calloused and hardened. We have a softened heart, still willing. So what are the dreams? Let's pick it up in verse nine. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, and I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. He says, the cupbearer tells him the dream. He says, I saw a vine, three vines. 
clusters of grapes burst forth. And he says, I took the grapes and I held Pharaoh's cup underneath and I squeezed and crushed the grapes until all of the juice came out into Pharaoh's cup. And then I went back to Pharaoh's hand and I placed it in Pharaoh's right hand. He says, that's my dream. What does it mean? And then Joseph says, here is the interpretation. This is what's going to happen. He's inferring because interpretations belong to God. God has shown me the interpretation. The three branches mean three days. In three days, he's going to raise your head up, restore you to your position, and you will once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. You'll be at Pharaoh's right hand again. And then he says, please remember me. Do you hear the pain? I was stolen from my homeland. I, I don't even belong to be here. I was brought to this land. I came down to this land. A land I don't belong in. Alone. And even while I was here, I've been falsely accused and I'm down in the pit. That's the same word often used poetically in the Old Testament for Sheol or death. I am down here in death. Would you please remember me? Now that's dream one. There's two dreams, remember. So the baker now is going to share his dream. And when the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Got a little awkward in the prison that moment. <laughs> the baker, poor guy, is like, well, that went well with the cupbearer. I, too, have a dream. Here's my dream. Okay, so then I dreamed. It was very similar. I think it's going to work out the same way. I was three, not three vines, but it was three baskets. They're on my head, and there's all kinds of bread and stuff in the top basket. And I was trying to take it to Pharaoh, but these birds kept coming and eating the bread out of the basket on my head. And Joseph's like, this is awkward. Okay, well, it is three days, and Pharaoh's going to lift up your head off of your body. You're going to be, in three days, beheaded, and then they're going to hang your body on a tree, and then the birds, as they were eating the bread, that's symbolizing that they're going to eat your body. I'm sorry. The cupbearer's like, I'm going to just leave you guys alone for a second. It walks away. Okay. Second dream, Joseph also is given an interpretation. One is going to be restored to the right hand. The other is going to... It's going to die, and the birds are going to eat his flesh. He's going to be hanged on a tree, which is the symbol of a curse. Okay, let's see how this plays out. Let's pick it up in verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand and he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Do you notice, I mean, think about this. Joseph has dream trouble. He has dreams and he doesn't understand what they mean because any shot of those dreams being fulfilled are toast. 
In his pain, he offers to interpret their dreams. And they only have to wait three days. On the third day, the fulfillment of their dreams happened. One is restored. The other is killed. And Joseph is hoping, hoping maybe then this will lead to me getting out of this pit. But the cupbearer forgot him. He's been sold by his brothers. He's been betrayed by his master. He's been neglected and forgotten by a man that he helped. And so Joseph finds himself still waiting for some time to pass. I want you to, I mean, just think about what Joseph did. I mean, he was willing in the midst of his pain on that very issue of dreams. He was willing to step in and be used by God. And do you see what God did? I mean, it was a miracle. Like, interpret a dream and it happens exactly like that. I mean, God did it. But Joseph went to work that day and God did miracles through him in these two individuals' lives. It was a miracle. This is not something Joseph is good at. If anything, this would be something that Joseph would say, of all things, this one is not my strong suit. I don't understand dreams. But that's how God used him. I want you to see how, this, how Joseph's story plays out because I think it's, it's important for um, uh, understanding this moment that Joseph is in. I want you to just, let's keep going just a couple verses. Let's pick it up in verse, chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years... Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream. We'll talk about that dream a little bit next week, but I want you to jump down to verse 9. Look what it says. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. Watch the timing of God. Had the cupbearer re remembered, he'd have gone to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, now that we've worked this out, there's a guy that helped me out, this guy named Joseph. And Pharaoh would be like, okay, what do you want me to do? Well, could you just, you know, help him out a little bit? Fine, set him free. And then Joseph would go free. No, God wanted Joseph two more years. It was a setup. He, the the cupbearer needed to forget Joseph. God used that neglect, setting the table for the right moment because Pharaoh was going to have a dream. And he wanted to bring Joseph to stand by Pharaoh's side and interpret that dream. And next week, if you don't know the story, you'll hear why God appointed Joseph to be standing by Pharaoh and how many lives would be saved. Church, Christian, child of God, here's what this text tells us. 
God has a dream over your life. And no one, no one's sin against you, no one's neglect, no one's betrayal, no one's selling you out, no one trying to hurt you, no human can get in the way of the dream that God has in your life. God is setting the stage. He's setting the, the chessboard and every human, whether a pharaoh or, or some of the least of these to the greatest of these, they are all pawns in God's hand. If the cupbearer hadn't forgotten about Joseph, Joseph wouldn't stand before Pharaoh. If Potiphar's wife hadn't lied about Joseph and Potiphar believed her, he wouldn't have been in the prison, in the, in the dungeon, to meet the cupbearer. If his brothers hadn't been jealous of him and sold him into slavery, he wouldn't have ended up in, the, in Egypt in Potiphar's house to wind up in the prison to meet the cupbearer and, and to wind up at the right hand of, of Pharaoh to bring salvation to so many lives. God has a dream over your life and not a single person can stand in his way. Here's how this plays out. Because Joseph, he still doesn't know what about those dreams. Fast forward. God uses, fast forward some time later. Joseph is at Pharaoh's right hand. And God uses him to save so many people. And all of a sudden, a group, a Hebrew family comes to Egypt to get help. And Joseph sees him, 10 brothers, his brothers, who don't recognize him because now he looks very Egyptian. And when he walks into the room, he's going to be able to help them and save them and spare the promise that's over this family that will lead to a Messiah that will save the world from their sins. And when this family needs help, God has placed Joseph in the right place. And when Joseph walks into the room, his brothers bow down before him. They don't even recognize him. And you know what has happened after all of those years? You know what has happened sometime later? Here's what Joseph says to his brothers. When in fear, they recognize what they've done. And this is basically how the entire book of Genesis closes. And it's the most famous words Joseph ever spoke. He looks to his brothers and says to not fear. And he says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words, you may have meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Christian, that's the story over your life. No one is slowing down, sidetracking God's dream over your life. So as you're waiting, as you're in the middle of some time passing, what do you do? You do what Joseph does. He's in this 
agonizing season of waiting. But he shows up one Monday and he says, but there are people. This moment is significant because there are people. And he shows up into these people's lives. And God's like, huh, this waiting, I'm not neglecting you. I've got everything exactly how I've planned it. And in the meantime, there are people. And I'm calling you, Joseph, today to enter into the pain of these people and be my vessel, my conduit. I want to work a miracle in these people's lives. And I want to use you at work today to work a miracle. Christian, do you realize tomorrow when you go to work, when you go to work on Monday, I don't know what season you're waiting on, but there are people. And in the middle of this waiting, you know he's got the future handled. So today, there are people. Tomorrow, there are people. And he wants to work in their lives. He wants to work miracle in your lives. You say, I'm not a miracle-working kind of person. Neither is Joseph, and neither is any human. Miracles are something God does through humans. There are not some more miracle-worthy humans than others. There's just humans. And when it comes to Christians, it's just humans filled with the Spirit of God. And so when you go to work tomorrow, you're the pastor in that room. You say, look, I am definitely not a pastor. You're a pastor. I am definitely not a pastor. Listen, yes, there are different functions in the family of God, but there's an even greater reality that makes us the same. You know what the Bible says about all of us? It says that there is a priesthood of all believers. We are a nation of priests. That's why you don't call me priest. You don't call me father. You call me maybe pastor, probably just Roby, and sometimes some names that are not as friendly about as that, okay? Uh, That's why you don't call me priest, because we're all priests. We go directly to God. You have the spirit of the living God in you, and we have a high priest in Jesus, but you are commissioned out into the world, in your workplace, your neighborhood, your friend groups, in your family, and you are a priest connecting that sphere to God. So you go into that place. You are the closest any of them have, oftentimes, to a pastor. And so when you go into that space, you say, I don't know what to do. You don't need to. You have the Holy Spirit. Just walk in with the brokenness and the humility of Joseph and be willing for God to choose to do a miracle through you. Joseph didn't have a master's degree in dream interpretation. God pretty much picked the place of his brokenness and worked through that. That's all he's calling you to do. I don't know what season that you're wait, you're in a season of waiting, but in the meantime, there's people. I want you to direct your attention to the, the screens. I want you to see some of your City Rev Church family and how they've walked this journey as they've gone to work on Mondays. Check this out. When I was a stay-at-home mom um, for 17 years, I 
When I had Natalie, <laughs> I, I thought I was going to go back to the banking industry. And of course, I had my three months uh, leave. And uh, I realized I, I, when she was turning three months old, I realized I, I'm not coming back. I can't leave her. I think that was my first ministry. My first calling was to be a mother, to be a wife, and to be a mother. And um, there's seasons for everything in life. I went through those 17 years um, with a lot of joy, knowing that I was making an impact in my kids' lives. And the fact that I was able to do it, it was a blessing. I got to be home with them. And there are seasons for everything. Now I, I get to do what I love in, in my work full time. And I also enjoy being a mom, being a wife, still taking care of my young adults. But um, I think I get the best of both worlds, home life and, and the fulfillment of working in an industry that I love. Psalms 37, 4, when you delight in the Lord, He really gives you the desires of your heart. And when you seek the Lord, He is faithful to show you, um, mm -hmm. you know, what He has for your life. So just as my mom was a young mom, I always thought that I would be a young mom, but I'm clearly not. But seeking the Lord and asking Him to channel that desire into something different, He's given me hundreds of students to pour into by being a college professor. So my desire to educate gets fulfilled through my job in real estate where I get to tell people about how the home buying process works, something that excites me every day. And then the desire to pour into people younger than me is so fulfilled and redeemed in that I literally get hundreds of students contacting me uh, you know, every week for one thing or another. So I think that's a really cool example of how my job and my faith sort of collide. No two days are the same in, in our business, in our industry. It's a beautiful industry, but um, we meet with clients. We have seller consultations, buyer consultations. It could be here at the office or at their homes. Um, I actually connected my faith with my job um, very early in my career. When I thought that in my work I was in charge, God showed me something different. So um, God's hand has been in, in my work and the work I do very clearly and very generously. Buying or selling a home is really one of the biggest financial decisions that you will make. So carrying out my faith and showing my faith through my daily activities, when I'm representing clients and I'm working in an ethical way and I'm being a professional, it all is based on my Christian faith. I consider this my ministry, and I get to walk with people through their different circumstances. We've seen everything from um, family issues to addiction, mental health issues, um, you know, physical issues, and we've become emotional punching bags sometimes when people just unleash their frustrations. Um, because we really do get invited and involved in some of their most intimate conversations and you know, financial issues uh, when they're buying or selling a home. So helping them uh, walk through that and guiding them through that really requires us to be rooted in our faith and having our joy found in the Lord because they're difficult conversations to have and day after day it can become taxing if uh, we're not rooted in the Lord. Being able to just um, help people and serve them with hope compassion and love through their different circumstances in life um, and pray for them and with them 
it's just priceless. And I think that's how I, uh, I show my faith and I carry out my faith in my daily activities. I think God definitely has a calling on each and every one of our lives. Um, for a new believer, you might think that God just now started working in your life, but He's been working in your life all along. It's just now that the pieces are going to start connecting and you're going to see how He's redeeming things that you've lived to carry out your purpose and fill you with the passion to pursue your calling. I have seen it so many times where God just works through us. and. And it's very humbling to see how God can use me, just a realtor, uh, just a mom, um, just to make a difference in someone's life. And I've seen how God shows up and He can show off. God is awesome. So uh, I would tell someone uh, if they feel like they are not um, equipped or not called by the Lord to, to serve or, or to make a difference, I would say, just look around and make, make your work, your job, whatever it is that you do, just make it your ministry. Make it your mission. God will use you. He always does. That's great. Very good. Mm -hmm. I don't know what season of waiting you're walking through, but waiting can seem like an agonizing season. And you know, well, I'll just want to close with this. You know, Joseph, he was walking through a crucifixion in that pit. It, that story is whispering about another story. Just to imagine just the, the elements of that story. Joseph finds himself between two criminals, one that ultimately will be cursed, the other that will ultimately be raised up. And one has a, a, a dream about um, wine, and one has a dream about bread. Two, those are the two elements. And the, the one about the wine, it's grapes that are squeezed and crushed, and the blood runs out of the, the grapes and fills the cup, and then he's raised on the third day to the right hand of the king. But the baker... He's the one that's in charge of making the bread, and he will be cursed. He'll be hanged on a tree. And his, his body, the, the bread, was eaten, symbolic of his body being consumed. See, all these elements, these pieces of the story, they, they speak to another story, a greater story. It speaks to the gospel. It's a story of our Savior who was at the right hand of his Father, had all the favor and the glory and was brought down to another land, was falsely accused and find him, finds himself hanged on a tree, but not until he offered the two elements of the bread and the wine to his, his, believer, his um, disciples and says, here, take and eat. It's a new covenant because by his death, we will all be raised out of the pit and he went down to the pit of death and he was raised to life on the third day. See, here's what, the, what the, the gospel reminds us. It's two things. If the son did that for us, all that suffering, if he did all of that for us, it reminds us of the value of your soul and my soul. When there's people, that's what God loves and he cares about. It's not getting wrapped up in our, 
our career and our success, and it's not getting wrapped up in our accolades or the recognition or whatever it is. He cares about souls. There's people. That's what's significant. The gospel reminds us of the significance of people. But here's the other thing the gospel reminds us of. Just like how Jesus was raised back to life and lifted up to glory to the right hand of God the Father, you and I too will be raised too. And we will be glorified, fully glorified one day in heaven. This world has nothing to offer you that can compare with the glories that are in store that will, for you in heaven one day when we stand in the presence of the king. That's the story of the gospel. Your father, let's celebrate that. Your father, your father has a, has a dream over your life. Walk through it with him. Let's pray together. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Maybe you are here today and you're like, look, I think I'm just trying to live my own life and run my own life. And I don't know that I've ever just turned my life over to Jesus. I know about Jesus, but today I want to make him my Lord, my Savior and my Lord. I just want to surrender to him. Maybe you've been religious, maybe you've even gone to church, but it's never been like, Jesus, I just surrender all of it to you. I know what you did for me. You are my king, you are my Lord. I will live every day for you. I'm just gonna surrender to you, make you my Lord. But maybe you wanna take that step today. If that's you, here's what I want you to do with no one looking around, whether you're here at Cooper City, you're watching online, no one's looking around. If that's you and you wanna take that step and just make Jesus your Lord, you wanna surrender to him today, would you just slip your hand in the air and put it back down? No one's looking around. Just say, that's me today. I, I want to surrender to Jesus. Praise God. Anybody else, you say, today's the day. I, I've been running. I've been trying to run my own life. But today, I just turn it over to Jesus. You say, today's my day. Would you just slip your hand in the air and put it back down? Just to mark this day. Praise God. Let me pray for you. If that's you, what I want you to do is just silently in your heart, just surrender to Jesus. Just say this to him silently. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. You are my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we celebrate with those who gave their lives to Jesus today? Praise God. Look, if you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, those of you watching online, I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. Just grab your phone real quick. Go to cityrev.org slash faith. We want to mail you a Bible. If you're here and that was you, then go by guest services. We're going to put a Bible in your hand today. Church, we're going to end with a song to be reminded of the faithfulness of God. We know who he said that he is, and we believe it. Would you stand with me as we close Thanks with this song? Listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.